Pulp Fiction covers themes that may not be suitable for all listeners. Episodes may feature true events tied into fictional stories. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Story 1 of Pulp Fiction, a podcast by Public. This is Salt Creek, Episode 7. When Kathy awoke, she was no longer in the cavern. She felt different, like something was fading from her. Everything around her seemed blanched a dark grey, with even darker grey mist swirling around the shapeless void she was in. She tried to move, tried to feel her body, but she couldn't. She no longer had a body. She was merely observing something, like she was in a dream. A newspaper fluttered towards her, a beacon of light rocketing out of the dark grey. As it flew past, she caught the date. August 11, 1992. Slowly, the world began to materialise out of the grey and a young man appeared, walking along a quiet street. It was dark and cold, the depths of winter. His hands were tucked deep in his pockets and to anyone else, he would have looked like any young, blue-colour worker heading home after a long day at work. But he didn't work. He never had. It wasn't really the way things were done around Salisbury then. Reaching an intersection, he paused beneath the halo of bright white light. The little green man was flashing, beckoning him to cross the street, but he didn't cross. Instead, he stood still, thinking about how the ticking of the crossing signal was so much louder at night, without other sounds to drown it out. There you are, honey. I went to the wrong fucking intersection. Can you believe it? A deep male voice with feminine undertones sung from outside of the halo. He knew who it was. He was expecting him. And in his mind's eye, he could almost see what he'd been wearing before he'd laid eyes on him. A man materialised out of the darkness. The silhouette was confusing, sexually ambiguous. Wearing an ankle-length brown faux fur coat with an extra fluffy white trim around the collar and sleeves. His bright yellow shirt was a couple of sizes too small exposing a thin and aged midriff, and his pants sat low on his hips, also too tight, making his package look like a tiny, strangled worm. Hi, Barry, the plain-dressed man called out. Clint, darling, hello, Barry exclaimed, giving Clint a half-embrace and two air kisses on each cheek. A gesture in a place so far removed from any kind of culture it almost seemed like a joke. You're looking very masculine today. All dressed down, are we? He said. Clint gave Barry a one smile. Just trying to keep a low profile while we're not in the city, Baz. Barry chuckled and ran his fingers through his long, lank, blonde hair. Hmm. Alrighty, well, let's get a wriggle on, boy. We've got to go and find Rob. He winked. The pair walked through the streets, surrounded by desolate and run-down houses. The homes had an abandoned air about them, 
but were filled with the poor, disabled and disillusioned. By day it was flat, dry and dusty. A maze of almost identical government-built housing, junked-out cars and graffiti tags. In short, Salisbury, like many other low-income suburbs, reeked of low self-respect. The pair made most of the walk in almost complete silence. Clint wasn't sure what to say. Meeting Barry out of the blue like this wasn't the norm. Usually Clint would meet Barry with his boyfriend, Rob, in the city at the local gay bar, the Mars Bar, as Baz called it, the Cactus Patch, where Clint would be dressed in his loudest colours, yellow plants, fluorescent pink shirt, electric blue headband, or some bright variation of each. Clint loved colour, and right now, under his loose-fitting navy jeans, he was wearing a bright lilac jockstrap. We're almost there now, Barry said, giving Clint a side smile. Something felt strange to Clint, a little off, like Barry wasn't telling him the complete and whole story of where they were meeting Rob. He hoped it wouldn't turn into some sex thing, especially not with Barry. He was a nice guy, but he wasn't really the kind that Clint was attracted to. He was feminine, but rough. He smoked a lot and while he was only about 37, the loose skin around his eyes, hanging off of his jowls, and the puckered smoker's mouth made him look like he was closer to 50. The pair stopped at a waist-high chain-link fence. Beyond it was an uncharacteristically tidy yard, grass mown with simple small shrubs lining the perimeter. The pair began walking up the clean concrete driveway and past a gleaming motorcycle and car. He must be doing alright for himself, Clinton thought assuming this was Barry and Rob's house. He soon found it wasn't, though, as Barry knocked on the door. They heard movement within the tidy, white fibroboard cottage and two sets of voices, one deep, the other a bit lighter, younger. Rob answered the door. His gleaming grin peeked out through the crack, warm light spilling out around his young features. This was the sort of guy that Clint was interested in. What's the password? said Rob, giggling the tiniest bit. The password is let us the fuck in, you beautiful fuckwit, Barry croaked, pushing the door open in a dramatic sweep. He walked past Rob and spread his arms so that his coat billowed out like a cape behind him. John, John fucking Bunting, you crazy motherfucker, Barry exclaimed to John before walking across to give him some air kisses. John complied, but looked a little pained, like Barry was someone he simply had to suffer through. Hi, Baz, he said, then walked over to where Clint was standing, just inside the still-open door. Let's keep this goddamn door shut. I don't want to let all the warm out. He pushed it closed and now, standing behind Clint, placed his hands on each of his shoulders and steered him towards the living room. And who's this then? said John not asking Clint himself, but Barry who was across the room, lighting a cigarette. This is my little Clint, Clinton Trezise, he said with a smirk, before nodding towards Clint. John wanted to meet you. Clint forced a smile. Why? He'd never heard of John before. Why would he want to meet him? Don't just stand there, boy. Take a seat said John, 
gesturing to one of the blue, slightly worn couches around the coffee table in the centre of the room. Clint took an armchair, what he figured was a safe choice away from Barry. John sat down on a love seat directly across from him. He was perched on the edge of his seat so he was leaning forward. His elbows were rested on his knees and his meaty forearms were tensed, distracting from his kind of chubby but muscular form. He had a broad, kind face with a thick, neatly trimmed beard. He was also the kind of guy that Clinton was interested in. Barry fluttered over to the only other armchair, sat down and lit another cigarette. Rob walked over and perched on the arm of Clint's chair, placing one hand on his shoulder before giving it a soft squeeze. So, John said, what do you like doing? Weird conversation starter, thought Clint. What does he mean? His mind began to race in panic, considering each possible question to the answer, or each possible answer to the question, before answering. Did he mean, like, hobbies? Or was he leaning towards a more sexual kind of interest? Best to play it safe, he thought. Um, I like, uh, having drinks with friends. Music, cars, I guess. Yeah, that sort of thing, he said. John flopped back into the love seat, relaxing. The chair shifted back a little under his weight. He laughed a hearty chuckle and slapped his leg. Barry stood up and walked behind Clint, trailing his fingers over Rob's hand and across Clint's back. You silly boy, said Barry. He doesn't mean, what do you do on the weekend, he means. Barry leaned down, the scent of cigarettes and booze making Clint recoil from the odd man. He softly kissed Clint's ear and whispered, he means, what do you like when you're getting fucked? The blood rushed to Clint's face, broadcasting his embarrassment across the room. He shifted in his seat uncomfortably before adjusting something in his pants. John picked up the embarrassment like an antenna, and a smile creeped up one side of his face. He knew Clint was getting aroused by this talk. Hmm. You like me talking like this, do you, faggot? He uttered, the insult flying away over Clint's head. Come over to me. Now. He commanded. Clint stood up slowly, the bulge straining against the fabric of his pants. He walked over to John and stood by the side of John's chair. Rob and Barry watched on in earnest as John began caressing Clint's thigh, before slowly trailing his fingers up to his waistband. He curled a finger under the elastic of Clint's pants and pulled the band down ever so slowly, exposing the bright lilac of his underwear. What's this then, faggot? said John, as he pulled down Clint's pants further. These are some very fucking happy pants. He shoved Clint away, who, fearing he'd crossed some sort of line, rushed to pull up his pants. John commanded, stand in the centre of the room, happy pants. Rob, get the coffee table out of the way. Rob complied and Clint walked into the middle of the newly cleared space between the huddle of armchairs and sofas. Rob came back, perched on the edge of Barry's seat and began staring intently at Clint. Barry was rubbing that strangled worm through the already strained fabric of his pants. Take them off, faggot, 
John commanded. Clint obeyed, stripping off his navy blue pants so he was standing there in just his shirt, jacket and bright lilac jock. Rob stood up and walked behind the couch so he was standing behind John. Now, take off the rest, John said. Clint paused. Something felt off. Shouldn't there be more interaction than this? Some kissing? Some touching at least, he thought. He began to feel like he was being considered for something. Like a prized steer, ready for auction. But he was also turned on. Clouds of arousal were muddying his judgement, so he slumped his jacket off and grabbed the hem of his shirt. As the fabric went over his head, he heard rushing footsteps and the fabric was jerked back around his face, pulling his head back and forcing his eyes closed with it. He could still breathe, but had no sight. He felt John's beard bristle the back of his neck and his warm breath as he whispered, You like that happy pants? You like it rough? Clint felt John's hand working behind his head, tying the shirt into a knot, a secure blindfold. He felt John's warmth disappear as he stepped away and heard footsteps walking away from him. What the fuck is happening, he thought, panic finally starting to settle in. What are they going to do to me? He felt a trailing finger tickling the skin just above his nipple. Barry was teasing him fiddling with him, and his mind settled, his arousal coming back and overcoming his repulsion at who Barry was. He exhaled, a small groan escaping his lips. The warmth of his breath moistened the fabric over his mouth, and more footsteps, not Barry's, came closer to him again. Warm hands began gripping his forearms, gently pulling them behind his back and holding them together. He felt a small hard band wrap around his wrists and a hard zip as the ties were tightened. What are you doing? Clint said, stumbling over his words. You like it. We know you like it, pedo, growled John. Clint's ears pricked at the change of his tone. Huh? Pedo? That's... I'm, I'm, I'm not a fucking pedo, mate. Untie me now, please, said Clint his voice wobbling more than he wanted. I'm done here. I'm, I'm done with this. I'd, I'd like to go home. I, I, I think that's enough now, squeaked Barry in agreement. We should probably get going. I'm not nearly done, said John, grabbing Clint by the wrist and making him walk backwards towards the doorway of the sitting room. Clint was starting to panic now, yelling to be untied. John stopped him in the threshold and stepped out of view from Rob who was beaming, and Barry, who, clearly stressed, was lighting another cigarette. Stand still, he commanded, I'm just going to untie you. As Clint exhaled his final sigh of relief, John brought the shovel down on the back of his head with a sickening crunch. Barry inhaled quickly to scream and began choking on the smoke. Rob was still grinning beaming at the scene in front of him. He walked over to John and held his hand out. John passed him the shovel. Clint was on the ground in front of them both, gasping and writhing about in pain. 
Comprehension was fluttering about in his mind like a swarm of butterflies, and he struggled over which action to take. At that point, he could only summon one thought. Get away. He weakly began pushing himself along the floor with his feet, the scraping of his skin on the carpeted floors drowning out the only sounds of Barry's hacking cough and Rob following him, shovel in hands. He heard three words before feeling the shovel crush his skull. Fuck. You. Pedo. Rob dropped the shovel, his hands shaking. Barry was still coughing behind the pair. John bent down over Clint's body and pulled off the shirt to check his breathing. Little tiny gusts of air were struggling down his throat, rattling in his windpipe. Now that's what you call the death rattle, said John, no emotion at all. It happens just before they go. Rob was struggling to talk. Shouldn't we help him along? He asked, a little shaken. Don't be fucking stupid, Rob. He's a pedo. A filthy fucking pedophile. He deserves to suffer and you deserve to see this. This is a kind of thing that will make you a man. Plus, we can't afford to hit him again. He might start bleeding and then we'll have to clean the carpets. Rob dropped his head, one single tear escaping his eye and rolling down his cheek. You're not fucking crying, are you? Man, you fucking poofters are all babies. John said, still devoid of emotion. You leave him the fuck alone, Barry shrieked, finally breathing enough to produce sound. You fucking killed him. You made Rob kill a fucking man. He ran towards John who shoved him into the hallway wall as though he was little more than a sack of feathers. Calm down, said John quietly, or you'll be joining him. Barry stayed where he was, laying on the floor, and with shaking hands pulled a cigarette out of its sleeve, brought it to his mouth and lit it, inhaled deeply, the grating smoke releasing the soothing nicotine into his bloodstream. So, what do we do now then? Do we call an ambulance? He is, he's, he's still breathing after all, croaked Barry, the wobble in his voice pronounced. Yeah, said Rob. Maybe, maybe we should do that, right? Right, John? Don't be fucking stupid. If we call the ambulance, we may as well handcuff ourselves right now. Do you want to do that? Do you want to walk down to the cop shop? John walked into the living room returning with a thick woolen blanket, which he promptly threw over the still death-rattling Clint. Wrap him up, Baz. You two carry the pedo to the door and I'll turn the car around so we can chuck him straight in the boot, said John, with a real get-it-done tone. He grabbed his keys off the hook and walked out to the front door. The remaining pair worked in silence, wrapping Clint tightly before picking him up by his feet and shoulders. They slumped him by the door and waited for the rumbling of John's car to cut out. As soon as it did, they shuffled Clint's still warm body to the boot and rolled him in. The rattles were becoming more infrequent now, the life slowly leaching out of him, and Barry was still hoping, silently praying for divine intervention. Something, anything to interfere with what they were doing. The three stood around the boot together, looking down at Clint before John shrugged and disappeared back into the house. Barry lit another cigarette, 
and had it completely sucked down before John returned with a shovel, tossed it on top of Clint's body and slammed the boot shut. Don't just stand there. Get in the car, said John, matter-of-factly. Barry and Rob complied, both sitting in the back seat of John's dark green sedan. They drove in silence, Barry and Rob secretly holding hands tied across the middle seat. The drive was relatively quick, 20 minutes or so. Barry spent most of it chain-smoking. Rob sat, looking out of the window, alternating between fleeting grins and looking distressed, the internal struggle going on in his head, between dread and pride apparent on his face. Only John seemed relaxed, completely focused on the road in front of him. He turned down a dirt road signposted Light River. The road was rough and became too bumpy for Barry to smoke his cigarette so he threw it out the open window and stared out at the dark, cool night. John had turned his headlights off, so the only available light was the blue-tinged shine of the moon. John turned off of the dirt road and pulled up by a lone eucalyptus tree, which grew next to a chimney stack, the last relic of a colonial homestead that once stood there. He cut the engine, unbuckled his seatbelt, and got out of the car. He walked around to Barry's door, yanked it open and pulled Barry out by the shoulder. Get your fucking hands off me, squealed Barry as he tumbled to the ground. Take your jacket off, princess, said John, as he walked around to the back of the car and opened the boot. You've got some work to do. Barry's eyes widened as John pulled the shovel out of the car and began walking slowly towards him. Rob sat in the car, staring straight ahead. John tossed the shovel at Barry, who quickly scrambled in the dust to avoid being hit. Get digging. Make it nice and deep. We don't want anyone accidentally stumbling across your good mate Happy Pants now, do we? John said. Barry stayed on the ground a moment longer, evaluating his choices. As far as he could see, there were only two. The first was to dig, the second to run, which was definitely the riskier choice. John had the car and could easily chase him down, seeing as the ground was flat and desolate, and aside from the light river trickling away in the distance, there was no way he could take cover. John would simply run him down and bury him with Clint, so he stood up, shrugged his filthy jacket off, and with another cigarette gripped in his pucker of a mouth, started digging. It took a good few hours for him to make an appropriately sized hole, while Barry dug, John napped, and Rob sat, staring into the distance. After a few hours, he finally spoke. I think we can bury it now, he said. John shuffled in his seat, roused by Rob's talking. He was impressed, referring to this pufta pedophile as it. He was learning quickly. I think you might be a natural at this, boy. You want to do the honours? Asked John reaching through to where Rob was sitting and squeezing his shoulder. Rob flushed with pride but didn't say another word. He simply opened the car door, walked around to the boot and grabbed Clint, slumping him over his shoulder like he was carrying an old rug. As he walked towards the hole, now a good six feet deep, he could feel the tiny falls of Clint's chest as he continued his struggle to stay alive. As Rob realised this, a grin stretched across his face. 
He would be telling John about this later, when Barry wasn't around to hear him. He knew John would like it, and most of all, he wanted John to be happy. He dropped Clint's body beside the grave before offering a hand to Barry. Once out of the hole, Rob looked at him and said, I've got it, mate. Go get some rest. Barry nodded and began slumping back towards the car while lighting another cigarette, his tight and bright clothing now streaked with dust and sweat. No sooner had Barry sat back in the car, did Rob bluntly kick Roll Clint's body into the hole, and as he started shoveling dirt onto the blanketed form, he swear he heard a light gasping. Please. Please stop. I'm still alive. Regardless, Rob continued shoveling. When he was done, he called John over to inspect his work. Please, John gave Rob a nod and signalled for him to walk over to the lone tree, standing by the chimney stack. He pulled out a knife and began carving something into the bark. From the car, Barry could make out only the start of what they were carving, a lone letter scarring the surface of the tree. That letter was T. To be continued. Thanks for listening. For more stories, visit www.thepublicbook.com or you can follow me on Twitter if you want. My handle is at DRopeKeyAuthor. Bye.